Hey, good morning again. Uh, my name is Blake, in case you haven't met me yet, and uh, excited to be here to open up God's Word. Uh, as you heard Megan read from Mark 14, and uh, we are tracking with the last few chapters of the book of Mark over the next several weeks, uh, and we're doing it in a series that we're calling I Have Decided, Following Jesus to the Cross, and uh, we kicked this off last week, and uh, the, the crux, the big question that uh, we want to wrestle and wallow in over the next several weeks is why does commitment to Christ and the church matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? And so last week we started by asking the question, why can't I believe in Jesus and do what I want? It would make sense if we have freedom in Christ. Why can't I believe in Jesus and do what I want? And we answered that question by realizing that we're made for joy and not for jealousy. And when we do what we want, a lot of jealousy rises up in us. And this week, we're going to wrestle with the question, or hopefully uh, seek the answer to the question, why do I need the church to remember my commitment to Jesus? Why do I need the church to remember my commitment to Jesus? And then next week, uh, we're going to get a little preview. We're going to look at the question, haven't I grown to a point where I don't need others to help me with my walk with Christ? Questions that maybe uh, you have or haven't wrestled with. Um, but in all of this, ultimately, we're calling each other back. We're calling each other back in to continue going out, being on mission to reach the four out of five people in Shelby County who are not connected to a local church. Four out of five. I say that number and people are like, whoa, I wouldn't like, this is Shelby County. Shelby County. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we keep going. Um, but one practical application that I, I want to challenge us all to as we go through this series, over on the chalkboard, uh, you'll see it says, I have decided to share Jesus with, and uh, we really want to uh, challenge you and invite you uh, to, to put initials, a first name, uh, the full name of someone that, uh, that you want to share Jesus with. And we've even got something there on the table for some next steps on how to do that some different things that you can be praying for them. And uh, September 16th, as we end this series, uh, we want you to bring that person. We want you to bring them with you uh, because people matter. People matter. And our commitment to Christ and the church matters, and that's what we're, what we're wrestling with in this series. Uh, how many of y'all have had a, uh, some of you aren't back in school. If you're in Shelby County Public Schools, you are back in school, whether you want to be or not. Um, I don't know what it's been like in your house this week, but uh, we got back to a little bit of a routine, and it's, it's crazy. Tell me, maybe this is the, we might be the only ones that this happens to. I don't know. <clears throat> but whenever we're trying to all get to a place together, or we're trying to get ready in the morning or, or whatever, get to church, to school, it's funny how it doesn't matter what size your house is, in those moments, everybody is always right there together in the smallest places. So the kids wake up, and they all come to our bed, and then from the bed, like, we all go to the same bathroom, and you all get ready there, and then you all go to the pantry, and you all find, you know, you're, like, climbing over each other, grabbing granola bars and Pop-Tarts and cereal, and it's like, why in the world, like, who needs a three-bedroom, two-bath house when really what you need is one bed and one bath, like... It's where we are all the time anyway. I don't, like I said, maybe we're the only ones, but whenever we're moving together, like some kind of mission to get out the door, we're all in the same rooms of the house all the time. And what's funny is that when the opposite is true, we're all scattered, right? Like yesterday, Saturday, some downtime. 
And it's like, you couldn't have paid our kids to be in the same room with us. It's like, I just want to go upstairs. I want to play with my toys. I want to, get on, I want to watch my movies on the phone. Like, what, you know, whatever it is, like, please just get me away from these people. Or maybe this plays out with you and your wife. It's like, if we just get the kids to bed, then we can have some time together. And time together is like, did you have a good day? Yeah, me too. Isn't that funny how, like, when, when, when you think you need the space or whatever, like, we're all together in the same space, but then when we actually have time to connect and be together, it's like, let's just scatter. Let's just, like, everybody needs their space. Everybody needs their time. And I think that reveals something that's true of the world, of nature, uh, of our human nature, that when we are left to our own devices, everyone scatters. Everyone scatters. In fact, it's uh, for you science geeks, I'm not going to pretend to be one of those because I'm not smart enough to do that. I'll leave that to you. But the second law of thermodynamics says the universe, this universal law of science says that all systems, if left to themselves, move from a state of, anybody know? Order to disorder. So science says this is true, right? This is once explained saying, if there was a neat and orderly room full of toys, say, in the community kids area of Christ Community Church, and then you let loose a bunch of three-year-olds for an hour or an hour and a half if Blake preaches for a long time, you can, you can picture it, right? Order to disorder. If you've ever served in the three-year-old room, it is order to disorder in an hour. Well, the problem was, is a little girl heard this one day, and she said, what if you had a messy room and you let loose a bunch of mommies? It's like... <laughs> so that illustration, you know, it falls a little short. Um, but, but a better example might be uh, there's a pile of uh, landscaping stones in my backyard, and if no one touches them for the next thousand years, they are eventually going to erode and wear away. That is, if left alone, they will not move themselves and form the fire pit for which they were bought, right? Like, they just stay there, and they will eventually go away. Order to disorder. You know, as humans, our sin nature applies this law to our lives, that when left to ourselves, we move from order to disorder. And, and this is the slide that we see Peter and the disciples getting ready to go on in this passage. As they follow Jesus to the cross, their lives uh, are going to scatter and move from order to disorder. And we would be wise to consider their journey and to think about the decisions we are making in our own lives. I want to go back to the end of the passage that Megan read for us, verses 27 through 31. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be, what's it say? Scattered. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, Even if everybody falls away, I will not. I will not. Truly, Peter, I tell you, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter puffs up his chest one more time and says in verse 31, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Jesus says we're going to scatter. (laughs) When the people in our lives, when the circumstances of our lives begin to call into question who Jesus is or, or the role that he plays in our lives as our Savior and our Lord, when, when he is struck, the sheep will scatter. 
Peter was sure he wouldn't forget, though. He wouldn't forget who Jesus was. You know, once we get out on our own, once we're scattered, the only one that we worship is ourselves. And when we worship ourselves or maybe our families, we fall into the same sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Did you just call me Satan? No, I didn't. But we would be wise to consider what happened to him. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we read about Satan's fall from heaven. Said, you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Like, I don't do that. I don't want to, I don't want to be God. And yet when we are scattered and, and we are isolated and by ourselves, the only option oftentimes is to make ourselves into a God. It becomes all about us. And before we know it, before we maybe even realize what's going on, we have made ourselves or our families like the Most High. We have changed the truth of God for a lie. And our attitude inside of this is, is noble. I've been there. We, like Peter, begin to say, I, I, I won't do that. I, no, I won't deny you, Lord. I'll get to community when I need it. I'll get to be with other believers. I'll get back in the word when I need it. There was a study in 2015, a research study that was conducted, well over a million dollars at cost. And they wanted to study the persecuted church around the world. And they wanted to figure out uh, what made the persecuted church, um, the persecuted church. Why were they being persecuted? What, what were the causes and, and what were the results? And what they found was that the persecuting regimes and militant groups' chief aim, their chief aim was to keep Christian communities disconnected, hidden, and obscure. That were, those were their three aims. Because if they could get the people to scatter and not come back together, they could keep them under control. In America... We don't see the persecuted church because we've isolated ourselves. Four out of five, we mentioned that number a little bit earlier. Four out of five people in Shelby County who aren't connected to the local church. In Henry County, where some of our people are living, it's nine out of ten, a little higher. And when I talk to people about this number, they're shocked. And they're shocked because there's an interesting statistic that company accompanies this, and that's that 55% of the people in Shelby County say that they're committed to the church, but 13% are actually attending church. A 40% gap. And it brings us back to this whole idea of the I Have Decided series. Why does commitment to Christ and the church matter? And the question for today is, why do I need the church to remember my commitment to Christ? I had a coach um, in college, a young guy, loved him, really appreciated him. He will remain nameless in case he happens to listen to our audio podcast, who knows. But um, <laughs> it was really funny. He walked into a Monday meeting after a Saturday football game, and he had these awesome pictures of all, like, uh, several different players, like, you know, action shots. And listen, if you're a small college athlete, this is like, it's like 
gold. You know, you're like, yeah. I got pictures of myself, and they look good. So he hands us these pictures, and I was like, Coach, who took these pictures? And he was like, my girlfriend. And everybody in the room, you know, it was one of the, like, I, I, I wish I could use his name. We were like, Coach, you do not have a girlfriend. <laughs> like, it does not make any sense that you have a girlfriend. You do football all the time. You're here with us all the time. You're a football, like, geek, a nerd. We've never seen a girlfriend. Like, Coach, you do not have a girlfriend. <laughs> He's like, guys, like, I have a girlfriend. And we're like, prove it. Prove that you have a girlfriend. So he pulls this picture up on Facebook. College football guys, right? Just keep in mind. And she's really pretty. And we're like, coach, that is not your girlfriend. Like, we know that you're lying now. Like, who took these pictures? He's like, listen, guys, this is my girlfriend. She took the pictures. And we're like, no, no. And then you always know, kind of went on. Like, you're just... Like, we don't know who took the pictures. Obviously, you're trying to protect him, whatever. So, we're, we're running out to the game the next weekend. And this girl, this girl who is Coach's girlfriend, is standing beside us with the camera. And she's like, hey, guys, I'm Coach's girlfriend. And we're like, oh, snap. Like, he was telling us the truth. I tell that, question, I tell that story for this reason. How many of us, if we put ourselves in the position of coach, and we said, you know what, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And Jesus' bride is the church. Like, it's his bride. If people know you, if people know you, man, are you there? Are you present? Does it, would it make sense that, that you are the bride of Christ? Would people see you as the bride of Christ? Or do you seem like an impossibility? A fragment of imagination. We, along with 55% of our community, say that we are committed to Christ, that we are his bride, the local church. But when only 13% of us are actually there, it raises questions. Are we real? Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. You? You're a Christian? We have a tendency to scatter, don't we? To wind up on our own, worshiping ourselves, and that is not good. But, Jesus is always good for buts. Jesus' death brings us together for life. Jesus' death brings us together for life. In spite of our Peter-like attitudes that convince us we've got this, Jesus is still working to bring us together. Jesus didn't die and rise again to get us going to church and adding some niceness to our already pretty good lives. He died and rose again to create a new kind of community that will astonish the world. That's why we go to church. That's why we commit Jesus, his death brings us together for life. And there's two angles of that statement that I want to talk to uh, this morning uh, quickly. One is that life is the opposite of death, and the other is thinking about life as the length of time that you are living. So first, life as the opposite of death. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, there were many consequences. They were banished from the garden. There was pain in childbirth. We had to work for what we ate. But the capstone of the consequence was death. God did not create us to die. God created us to live. Sin brought death. And death became most real for the Jewish people when they had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. People had been born and lived their entire lives as slaves. And God rescued them from Egypt. The pinnacle moment involved something called the the Passover lamb. It was a foreshadowing of Christ and how he would save us. And the Israelites were to take the blood of the lamb and smear it over their doors. And those who did it, the Israelites, they were passed over by the angel of death. But those who did not, the Egyptians, experienced the death of their firstborn child. And the Israelites then, um, in obedience to God, they installed this ceremony or this festival, the Passover feast, to remember how God rescued them from their death and slavery in Egypt. This ceremony had been repeated for for years, year after year, to help them uh, remember how God had saved them. And this passage shows Jesus and his disciples celebrating that very festival, right? We go back to verse 12. It says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, they, they would still do this to remember how God had rescued them. The disciples were ready to celebrate. This moment with Jesus was something that they were excited about. They were remembering the death of the Passover lamb that gave them life. Jesus was so ready to celebrate. He valued celebrating so much that he had already taken care of all the accommodations. Celebrating the Passover was about celebrating the life that was found in God. It was about coming together to remember what had happened that night in Egypt. But why does that matter to you and I? Why does that matter? And it matters because at this Passover meal, at this Passover feast, Jesus started the very celebration that helps you celebrate your new life. This is the celebrated history of your salvation. This is your story. Verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For many. You see, the blood of the lamb was spread over the door frames by individuals. It was something that each person did. But when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was poured out for many. Jesus' death on the cross was not an individualistic thing. It was done for many. It was done for a community of believers that would be known as the church. And when we who have been baptized take communion each Sunday by dipping a piece of bread in the juice, we are recreating the same meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. We are celebrating the life that we have in Christ. We are celebrating that death has been taken far from us by the blood of Christ. Paul writes about uh, taking the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. I want to read that uh, beginning verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you realize what that means? 
That when we take communion without remembering that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed for you, if we don't remember what that means for us, we're drinking and eating ourselves into judgment. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. The Lord's Supper, it's, it's not or should not be a ritualistic tradition that we do to make us feel better about ourselves. It's rather an opportunity to remember that our sin leads to death, but that Christ's death brings us together for life. And little did anyone know that the meal that they would share that night would be the one thing that would bring them together for the rest of their lives. Life is the opposite of death, and that brings us to consider the fact that life is, is also this length of time that you are living. Jesus finishes out the Lord's Supper by saying this, Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What hope, right? What hope? Jesus is telling his disciples, though they may not quite understand yet, that he's going to eat this meal with them again on the other side of eternity. That though they will die, they will live with him again in his kingdom. Jesus' death brings us together for life, like forever, like eternal life. You know, several moments of death in our country's history have continued to bring us together. Think about things like D-Day, Pearl Harbor, 9-11. And the list could go on, and, and the list could be much more varied. Death is terrible. But thanks to Jesus, we have hope after death. And so we remember death in hopes of life. In January of 2017, Travis Allen passed away of a drug overdose. He was my wife's cousin. He might as well have been my cousin. And uh, Travis was the first person to share his story on this stage. Easter Sunday, 2014. God did an incredible work in Travis Allen's life. But you know what's amazing? God brought more people together around his death than he did his life. People were excited when Travis gave his life to Christ. There's no doubt about that. He was, he was restored. Hope was restored. But when Travis died an untimely death, our family came together in ways that it never had before. And it came together because we wanted to remember. We wanted to do anything that we could to remember. We wanted to remember Travis well, and, and that required us being together. We, we couldn't remember all those things. We couldn't share the stories if we weren't together. We come together to this day because we don't want to forget. His funeral program hangs on our fridge. I remember when that same drug epidemic really became a frontline issue here in Shelbyville. It happened when people, thousands of people, came together, walked down Main Street to remember what was at stake. We remembered the lives that had been lost to drugs. People continue to come together around that cause today because we want to remember, we don't want to forget what is at stake. We also don't want to forget Without Christ, thousands of people in Shelby County will die an untimely death that might lead to their eternal demise. 
We can't forget, church. We don't want to forget. So I ask, how about you? Have you trusted that Christ's death brings life to you? You may know the gospel with your head, but have you trusted it with your heart? Our desire to remember Christ's death is an indicator of our status for eternal life. If we don't want to make it a point to to come together and remember the death of Christ, then we might not have life after our physical death. If you've not trusted Christ with your life, then your physical death is the end of your journey. There is no hope of sharing in the Lord's Supper as Christ talks about here in the upper room. So what does all this have to do with our commitment to Christ and the church? And, And why do I need to commit to the church to remember Christ? Because you forget when you're alone. And we remember together. You forget alone, but we remember together. You forget what Christ's death means when, like Peter, you think that you can make it on your own. You forget what Christ's death means when you're around people, but you're not really invested in each other's lives. You forget when you think that you can manage your own relationship with Christ. It's just between me and the Lord. You forget when you see Christ and the church as two separate things. Christ saves you and you make it to church when you can becomes your attitude. And that's like separating husband and wife. You think your life is is pretty good and so you forget and you lose touch with everyone else's life. You forget when your life is so scattered that it's hard to tell what is sin and what is not. You forget when your body is in the room but your heart is not. And isn't that the story of Jude? Whose body was in the room, whose hand was taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the cup at the same time as Christ. His body was in the room, but his heart was not. You forget when you are alone in this life. But we remember together. You remember what Christ's death means when you stand and worship, and just like Philip said, you hear people sing the gospel back to you. And you remember why we do this in the first place. You remember when you hear someone say the words, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you as you come forward and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. It's not something that you can experience apart from the local church. You hear stories of normal people having their lives changed by Jesus and then getting to talk to them after they speak and share their stories and and having coffee with them in the coming weeks. You remember when you pray together for some length of time. You remember when you pray together for that lost person to be found. You remember when you pray together through the difficult seasons of life. You remember when people's mess is on you and your mess is on other people. We remember together. We remember together. So what do you need to do? Number one is to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you are a part of his bride and you need to act like it. Acting like it is number two. And Just make Sunday gatherings a priority in your life. I don't say that with any kind of agenda other than to say, we remember together. And when, we, like, like when I come together with you, I remember what it means to be a Christian. We can't do it by ourselves. I forget when I'm alone. I remember with you. Make it a priority. And finally, recognize that if you ever want your spiritual life to move from disorder to order, it's going to require energy. 
right? That's like, that's the backside of the second law of thermodynamics. That if you want to move something back out of disorder into order, it requires energy to make that happen. That means that for you to get back into community, for you to, to be together, for your life to move from disorder to order, you're going to have to invest. You're going to have to, to put in effort and energy. What does this look like practically? Our gatherings, they, they call us back to God on Sunday mornings. They help us worship Him and not ourselves. They keep us together, right? Like it's hard to feel sorry for yourself when you're with a group of people. That's what they're for. Then there's also groups. And those groups, they call us together. They help us remember Christ and embrace our mess. They give us relationships and memories that stick with us. Commonalities don't make communities. The fact that you're on the same ball team, the fact that you like the same things, the fact that you, I don't know, like the same three tweets this week, don't make communities. Commonalities don't make communities. Confession makes communities. When we are able to be weak in front of other people, when we are able to share in the difficulties of life and to say, I don't know how to do this, I'm a little messed up, and I think everybody else probably is too, that's when we are really drawn together. Death brings us together so that we might find life in him. We do that mostly through community groups, right? And community groups are messy, to say the least, right? I think the only thing that I would say is you need to be in one, whatever that looks like. I'm not saying it has to be formal through Christ's community. Like we don't have the corner on groups, but you need to be in a group of Christians who is consistently seeking the Lord together through the local church. And maybe you don't want to be in one because God wants you to lead one. Maybe he's calling you to something more and what you want in your life and what he wants in your life are two different things and you need to wrestle that down. We can't make you do anything, but we can call you to it. Help us to help you. And so today, maybe if you're convicted that I've been trying to do this alone, I need to do it together, and I'm not sure what that means, here's, here's one simple next step. There's communication cards on the end. There's your name, a contact number. Kenny's going to be at the coffee bar. Turn one of those in, and let's talk about how we connect you to other people. We don't want it to be like blind dating. We want to ask you questions about, like, who are you already connected to that we can help you reconnect with, right? Blind dating is bad. I don't like to do it. At the end of the day, you and I, we have to stop trying to improve our lives just long enough to recognize that Jesus' death is the thing that brings us back together. We have to stop seeking self-help just long enough to realize that if we'll just come together around the fact that Christ died for us, he will speak life into us. To be the church, you have to be with the church. And to be with the church is to celebrate the life that we have because of Jesus' death. Why do we have so many highs and lows in our journey? Why does our faith seem to go hot and cold? Because we get scattered. Circumstances of life scatter us. Sin scatters us. Why do I need to commit to the church to remember Christ? Because you forget when you're alone. But we remember together. And here's the last question that I want to pose to you today that only you can answer. What's stopping you from making Christ and the church the number one priority for you and your family? What is it? Let's have a conversation about that. Have a conversation about that. 
in your group. Jesus' death brings us together for life. Not just to give us life, but for life. Jesus, the ultimate leader, always full of grace, always knowing where we're headed. I love what he says in verse 28. He's rallied them together around his death. He's told them they're going to scatter. Peter's puffing his chest up like, we got this. And Jesus says, I'm just going to get a little bit ahead of you. I'm going to be a leader. He says, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I love it. Jesus casting vision saying, man, it's going to be hard. You're going to be scattered. Everything's going to be a mess, but we're going to come back together. We're going to get together. It's going to be in Galilee. I'm going to go ahead of you again. I will meet you there. How is Christ going ahead of us at Christ Community Church? See, together, we are not just some collection of stories, although that's true. We aren't just a bunch of sinners that Jesus likes to hang out with, although that's true. We aren't just a people who want to serve and love our community, although that's true. We are the bride of Christ, his spouse. His blood was spilled out for many because together we are the bride. And when a husband loves his wife, you can't keep him away from his bride. One last story as the band comes back up and as we respond. Richard and Sabina, I keep messing her name up, Wormbrand. Richard and Sabina. Richard was a minister in the country of Romania. Church began to be persecuted there. He began to be persecuted, and he and his wife were imprisoned. Richard was in and out of prison for 14 years. His wife was um, in prison camps for multiple years. And at one point in that journey, they were so intent on dividing these two that they trained up a group of prisoners who had been with Richard to go and fake the death of him to his wife. And so they come into Sabina, this group does, and they begin to tell her all about her husband's funeral. He's dead. He's gone. Here's what they did. Here's how we celebrated his life. All a lie to get them in desperation to admit that they would not be together. Somehow she didn't believe it. It had to be the Lord Two years after they were reunited, they started a ministry that you may be familiar with called the Voice of the Martyrs. And today, that ministry exists all over the world to bring together people around the persecuted church. Together, they started this ministry that has done as much or more than any other nonprofit ministry to bring Christians together in the face of persecution. God's plan wasn't to use Richard all by himself, apart from Sabina, or to use Sabina to tell Richard's story. They were one. They were husband and wife, and Jesus used their connection to God and to each other to start one of the most influential ministries of our generation. We forget, you and I forget when we're alone, we try to do things by ourselves. But when we are together, is the power of Christ in us. So what can we do together, church? How would Christ be going in front of us? 
as we celebrate things like another church and, and how those things are coming together, and we've seen 100 people and half a million dollars in mission, like, what's next, God? Where's our Galilee? Like, where are you going ahead of us? And that's exciting to think and dream about uh, more churches that are reaching the lost here, there, and everywhere. We're going to hear next week about how Christ Community is, is helping to take the gospel to places all over the world, right? Like, it's, it's exciting to think about what God could do with us together. But if we are not together, we give up the opportunity to join him in the work. We give it up for ourselves. Jesus' death brings us together for life. Let's fight to stay together, Christ community. Let's fight to be in genuine community. Not community that's built on commonalities, but community that is built on confessing and being real with one another. Not holding up our accomplishments or our successes in the week. Humbly spending time in prayer with each other as we realize that our lives are in disorder. Jesus, help us not to make a mockery of your bride. Call us to faithfulness. Father, we pray that if there are people in our midst, we know that there are who, who aren't a part of your bride, who haven't said yes to you, who haven't trusted you with their heart. Maybe they've been in church all their life and they know the gospel, but they've never given their lives to you. I pray, God, that you would convict them, call them to yourself. And for us as the church, Father, help us to remember what your death means for us, that it brings us together for life. Spirit, lead us in this moment as we respond to you. We pray in your name. Amen.